Good evening. I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight, we continue our story, The Story of Aladdin or The Wonderful Lamp by Arabian Nights. The next morning, she repaired to the Sultan's palace with the present as early as the day before. But when she came there, she found the gates of the divan shut. She went six times afterward on the days appointed, placed herself always directly before the Sultan, but as with little success as the first morning. On the sixth day, however, after the divan was broken up, when the Sultan returned to his own apartment, he said to his Grand Vizier, I have for some time observed a certain woman who attends constantly every day that I give audience with something wrapped up in a napkin. She always stands up from the beginning to the breaking up of the audience and effects to place herself just before me. If this woman comes to our next audience, do not fail to call her, that I may hear what she has to say. The Grand Vizier made answer by lowering his hand and then lifting it up above his head, signifying his willingness to lose it if he failed. On the next audience day, when Aladdin's mother went to the divan and placed herself in front of the sultan as usual, the Grand Vizier immediately called the chief of the mace-bearers and, pointing to her, bade him bring her before the sultan. The old woman at once followed the mace-bearer, and when she reached the sultan, bowed her head down to the carpet which covered the platform of the throne and remained in that posture until he bade her rise. She had no sooner done so than he said to her, Good woman, I have observed you to stand many days from the beginning to the rising of the divan. What business brings you here? At these words, Aladdin's mother prostrated herself a second time, and when she rose, said, Monarch of monarchs, I beg of you to pardon the boldness of my petition, and to assure me of your pardon and forgiveness. Well, replied the sultan, I will forgive you, be it what it may, and no hurt shall come to you. Speak boldly. When Aladdin's mother had taken all these precautions for fear of the sultan's anger, she told him faithfully the errand on which her son had sent her, and the event which led to his making so bold a request in spite of all of her remonstrances. The sultan hearkened to this discourse without showing the least anger. But before he gave her any answer, he asked her what she had brought tied up in the napkin. She took the china dish which she had set down at the foot of the throne, untied it, and presented it to the sultan. The sultan's amazement and surprise were inexpressible when he saw so many large, beautiful, and valuable jewels collected in the dish. He remained for some time lost in admiration. At last, when he had recovered himself, he received the present from Aladdin's mother's hand, saying, How rich! How beautiful! After he had admired and handled all the jewels one after another, he turned to his grand vizier and, showing him the dish, said, Behold! Admire! Wonder! And confess that your eyes never beheld jewels so rich and beautiful before! The vizier was charmed. Well, continued the sultan, 
What sayest thou to such a present? Is it not worthy of the princess my daughter? And ought I not to bestow her on one who values her at so great a price? I cannot but own, replied the Grand Vizier, that the present is worthy of the princess. But I beg of your majesty to grant me three months before you come to a final resolution. I hope before that time, my son, whom you have regarded with your favor, will be able to make a nobler present than this Aladdin, who is an entire stranger to your majesty. The sultan granted his request and said to the old woman, Good woman, go home and tell your son that I agree to the proposal you have made me, but I cannot marry the princess my daughter for three months. At the expiration of that time, come again. Aladdin's mother returned home much more gratified than she had expected, and told her son with much joy the condescending answer she had received from the sultan's own mouth, and that she was to come to the divan again that day three months. And hearing this news, Aladdin thought himself the most happy of all men, and thanked his mother for the pain she had taken in the affair, the good success of which was of so great importance to his peace that he counted every day, week, and even hour as it passed. When two of the three months were passed, his mother one evening, having no oil in the house, went out to buy some and found a general rejoicing. The houses dressed with foliage, silks, and carpeting, and everyone striving to show his joy according to his ability. The streets were crowded with officers and habits of ceremony, mounted on horses richly caparisoned, each attended by a great many footmen. Ladin's mother asked the oil merchant what was the meaning of all this preparation of public festivity. "'Whence came you, good woman,' said he, "'that you don't know that the Grand Vizier's son is to marry the Princess Budir al-Budur.' the sultan's daughter, tonight. She will presently return from the bath, and these officers whom you see are to assist at the cavalgate to the palace, where the ceremony is to be solemnized. Aladdin's mother, on hearing this news, ran home very quickly. Child, cried she, you are undone. The sultan's fine promises will come to naught. This night the grand vizier's son is to marry the princess Budir al-Budur. At this account, Aladdin was thunderstruck. He bethought himself of the lamp and of the genie who had promised to obey him, and without indulging in idle words against the sultan, the vizier, or his son, he determined, if possible, to prevent the marriage. When Aladdin had got into his chamber, he took the lamp, and rubbing it in the same place as before, immediately the genie appeared and said to him, what wouldst thou have? I am ready to obey thee as thy slave, I and the other slaves of the lamp. Hear me, said Aladdin, thou hast hitherto obeyed me, but now I am about to impose upon thee a harder task. The sultan's daughter, who was promised me as my bride, is this night married to the son of the grand vizier, Bring them both hither to me immediately they retire to their bedchamber. Master, replied the genie, I obey you. Aladdin supped with his mother, as was their wont, and then went to his own apartment and sat up to await the return of the genie according to his commands. In the meantime, the festivities in honor of the princess's marriage were conducted in the sultan's palace with great magnificence. 
The ceremonies were at last brought to a conclusion, and the princess and the son of the vizier retired to the bedchamber prepared for them. No sooner had they entered it and dismissed their attendants than the genie, the faithful slave of the lamp, to the great amazement and alarm of the bride and bridegroom, took up the bed, and by an agency invisible to them, transported it in an instant into Aladdin's chamber, where he set it down. Remove the bridegroom, said Aladdin to the genie, and keep him a prisoner till tomorrow dawn, and then return with him here. On Aladdin being left alone with the princess, he endeavored to assuage her fears, and explained to her the treachery practiced upon him by the sultan, her father. He then laid himself down beside her, putting a drawn scimitar between them, to show that he was determined to secure her safety and to treat her with the utmost possible respect. At break of day, the genie appeared at the appointed hour, bringing back the bridegroom, whom by breathing upon he had left motionless and entranced at the door of Aladdin's chamber during the night, and at Aladdin's command transported the couch with the bride and bridegroom on it by the same invisible agency into the palace of the sultan. At the instant that the genie had set down the couch with the bride and bridegroom in their own chamber, the sultan came to the door to offer his good wishes to his daughter. The grand vizier's son, who was almost perished with cold, by standing in his thin undergarment all night, no sooner heard the knocking at the door than he got out of bed and ran into the robing chamber where he had undressed himself the night before. The sultan, having opened the door, went to the bedside and kissed the princess on the forehead, but was extremely surprised to see her look so melancholy. She only cast at him a sorrowful look, expressive of great affliction. He suspected there was something extraordinary in this silence, and thereupon went immediately to the sultaness's apartment, told her in what a state he found the princess, and how she had received him. Sire, said the sultaness, I will go and see her. She will not receive me in the same manner. The princess received her mother with sighs and tears, and sighs of deep dejection. At last, upon her pressing upon her the duty of telling all her thoughts, she gave to the sultaness a precise description of all that had happened to her during the night, on which the sultaness enjoined on her the necessity of silence and discretion, as no one would give credence to so strange a tale. The grand vizier's son, elated with the honor of being the sultan's son-in-law, kept silence on his part, and the events of the night were not allowed to cast the least gloom on the festivities on the following day, in continued celebration of the royal marriage. When night came, the bride and bridegroom were again attended to their chamber with the same ceremonies as on the preceding evening. Aladdin, knowing that this would be so, had already given his commands to the genie of the lamp, and no sooner were they alone than their bed was removed in the same mysterious manner as on the preceding evening, and having passed the night in the same unpleasant way. They were in the morning conveyed to the palace of the sultan. Scarcely they had been replaced in their apartment, when the sultan came to make his compliments to his daughter. The princess could no longer conceal from him the unhappy treatment she had been subjected to, and told him all that had happened, as she had already related it to her mother. The sultan, on hearing these strange tidings, consulted with the grand vizier, and finding from him that his son had been subjected by an invisible agency to even worse treatment, he determined to declare the marriage cancelled and all the festivities, which were yet to last for several days, 
countermanded, and terminated. This sudden change in the mind of the Sultan gave rise to various speculations and reports. Nobody but Aladdin knew the secret, and he kept it with the most scrupulous silence. Neither the Sultan nor the Grand Vizier, who had forgotten Aladdin in his request, had the least thought that he had any hand in the strange adventures that befell the bride and bridegroom. On the very day that the three months contained in the Sultan's promise expired, the mother of Aladdin again went to the palace and stood in the same place in the divan. The Sultan knew her again and directed his vizier to have her brought before him. After having prostrated herself, she made answer in reply to the Sultan, Sire, I come at the end of three months to ask you the fulfillment of the promise you made to my son. The Sultan little thought the request of Aladdin's mother was made to him in earnest, or that he would hear any more of the matter. He therefore took counsel with his vizier, who suggested that the Sultan should attach such conditions to the marriage that no one of the humble condition of Aladdin could possibly fulfill. In accordance with this suggestion of the vizier, the Sultan replied to the mother of Aladdin, Good woman, it is true sultans ought to abide by their word, and I am ready to keep mine, by making your son happy in marriage with the princess, my daughter. But as I cannot marry her without some further proof of your son being able to support her in royal state, you may tell him I will fulfill my promise as soon as he shall send me forty trays of massy gold, full of the same sort of jewels you have already made me a present of, and carried by the like number of slaves, who shall be led by as many young and handsome slaves, all dressed magnificently. On these conditions I am ready to bestow the princess my daughter upon him. Therefore, good woman, go and tell him so and I will wait till you bring me his answer. Aladdin's mother prostrated herself a second time before the sultan's throne and retired. On her way home, she laughed within herself at her son's foolish imagination. Where, said she, can he get so many large gold trays and such precious stones to fill them? It is altogether out of his power, and I believe he will not be much pleased with my embassy this time. When she came home full of these thoughts, she told Aladdin all of the circumstances of her interview with the Sultan and the conditions on which he consented to the marriage. The Sultan expects your answer immediately, said she, and then added, laughing, I believe he may wait long enough. Not so long, mother, as you imagine, replied Aladdin. This demand is a mere trifle and will prove no bar to my marriage with the princess. I will prepare at once to satisfy his request. Aladdin retired to his own apartment and summoned the genie of the lamp and required him to immediately prepare and present the gift before the sultan closed his morning audience according to the terms in which it had been prescribed. The genie professed his obedience to the owner of the lamp and disappeared. Within a very short time, a train of eighty slaves appeared opposite the house in which Aladdin lived. Each slave carried on their head a basin of massy gold, full of pearls, diamonds, rubies, and emeralds. Aladdin then addressed his mother, Madam, pray lose no time before the Sultan and the Divan rise. I would have you return to the palace with this present, as a dowry demanded for the princess, that he may judge by my diligence and exactness of the ardent and sincere desire I have 
to procure myself the honor of this alliance. As soon as this magnificent procession with Aladdin's mother at its head had begun to march from Aladdin's house, the whole city was filled with the crowds of people desirous to see so grand a sight. The graceful bearing, elegant form, and wonderful likeness of each slave, their grave walk at an equal distance from each other, the luster of their jeweled girdles, and the brilliancy of the agrettes of precious stones in their turbans, excited the greatest admiration in the spectators. As they had to pass through several streets to the palace, the whole length of the way was lined with files of spectators. Nothing, indeed, was ever seen so beautiful and brilliant in the Sultan's palace, and the richest robes of the emirs of his court were not to be compared to the costly dresses of these slaves, whom they supposed to be kings. As the Sultan, who had been informed of their approach, had given orders for them to be admitted, they met with no obstacle, but went into the divan in regular order, one part turning to the right and the other to the left. After they were all entered and had formed a semicircle before the Sultan's throne, the slaves laid the golden trays on the carpet, prostrated themselves, touching the carpet with their foreheads. When they rose, they uncovered the trays, and they all stood with their arms crossed over their breasts. In the meantime, Aladdin's mother advanced to the front of the throne, and having prostrated herself, said to the Sultan, Sire, my son knows this present is much below the notice of Princess Budir al-Budur, but hopes, nevertheless, that your majesty will accept of it and make it agreeable to the princess, and with the greater confidence since he has endeavored to conform to the conditions you were pleased to impose. The sultan, overpowered by the sight of such more than royal magnificence, replied without hesitation to the words of Aladdin's mother, Go and tell your son that I wait with open arms to embrace him, and the more haste he makes to come and receive the princess my daughter from my hands, the greater pleasure he will do me. As soon as Aladdin's mother had retired, the sultan put an end to the audience. Rising from his throne, he ordered that the princess's attendants should come and carry the trays into their mistress's apartment, whether he went himself to examine them with her at his leisure. The fourscore slaves were conducted into the palace, and the sultan, telling the princess of their magnificent apparel, ordered them to be brought before her apartment, that she might see through the lattices he had not exaggerated in his account of them. We'll return with our story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great stories such as this one to feature on the show. And if you know of any, you can email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel, tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Remember to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every single page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>